Are you ready? Well, here we are again. Are you ready to begin? Maybe. I thought you wanted to get on with it. I thought we were. Yeah, that means I have to do the intro. Speak into your microphone, young man. Otherwise, <laughs> we'd be able to hear you. Stop being a pro. No. <laughs> do you mind? Are you ready to be in? <sighs> Are you actually... Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> fucking begin. Hello, Internet. I am the Orbiter. Ow! Would you fucking not do that? You fucking not start without me. <laughs> Don't expect me to be in a good mood when you've been hitting me. Oh, no. Bloody <laughs> teenagers. <laughs> 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 Go team orbiter. Mm-hmm. Hello, Internet. I am Fireball. And I am the orbiter. I feel like you're slowly descending into madness over the course of the Trying episode. to, um. Oh, fuck. Our microphones have got different, slightly different levels, but never mind. What? Uh, the microphone levels aren't right. <laughs> Such a professional. Have, I must have um, twiddled the knobs by accident. That's not like you. No, it's usually deliberate. Hello. Are you ready to commence the podcast like a professional? We already have, haven't we? Not like professionals, clearly. I don't know what this is going to be tonight because things and stuff. That's very helpful. Could, well, would you clarify? The last, the, well, the last few um, podcasts we've started already drunkified a little bit, at least a beer or two in. You're just very poorly recently. Who is? You. Oh, yeah, a little bit. You're in a bit of a. You're a bit of. You were in a bit of a grump earlier. Not sure if you still are. I've had. I've had shingles. I've had. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Well, I'm not sure that completely... I don't know, just things. I've had this cough and cold that you guys have had, but I've got this I've got this pain down here as well on my right-hand side that that Star Stuff thinks might be a kidney infection. But Wonderful. <laughs> hey. For the podcast people who can't see us twisting around and looking suspiciously through the doorway, um, Dolphin Girl keeps going past the window. Mm. <laughs> Anyhow, shall we commence with news? Yeah, I wondered whether or not this this whole this whole episode might end up being more kind of a bit of a bollocks report, but with a reference to the subject because it, yeah. kind, it kind of is relevant to, um, to most of the news that's going on. Okay, so we kind of tackled them half and half together, maybe. Speaking of which, Bulgaria. Okay, we'll get on to that. This is episode... What episode is this? 46. Is it? Yes. Rapidly approaching your age. I think you may have said this before, and it was equally unfunny then. Just a month to wait. Actually, no. Actually, um... Before what? Two weeks to wait, because next episode is our Halloween special. (laughs) <laughs> my, my bottom just squeaks in anticipation. <laughs> um, 
Hang on, two weeks to wait before what? Before it uh, actually catches up to your age. No, it's not. Podcast-wise, yeah. What, when's the next podcast then? Halloween. Yeah. Which is... Which will be episode 47, presumably. Yeah. And then yeah. the week after that, we're doing another podcast, I think. Yeah, but... So we're having three weeks of them because it's Halloween. So what date is it now? Uh, th- this one's going out on the twenty fourth. Oh, so there'll there'll be like a, there'll be like a, a an in betweeny one. Yeah. Ooh, is that a podcast? Yeah. Well, it, it's on a Thursday, so. Oh. And that will be on fear, but also uh, given the <laughs> Brexit deadline, which we'll get onto, because um, we're actually recording this on Super Saturday, and um, well. The current Brexit deadline. I'm not know. actually sure. I don't know, actually. No, is, is I, it current? I'm not entirely sure what's happened so far. I've not really been catching up fully. You have a lot more. Well, what, this story literally came out, uh, the story that we're about to go on to, came out a minute before I actually, uh, before we actually started recording. I was going to say, in an hour and 35 minutes, um, Boris Johnson could be breaking the law. Yeah. Again. So um, we might actually have breaking news in the middle of the podcast which will be quite exciting also the one that we do for halloween my ending may end up being a brexit special in itself because of the nature of that but it'll all depend on what happens on the day yeah i mean hang on that because will that still be during the school holidays no it won't will it and no thursday night i think i was gonna say we we could actually bridge 11 o'clock with it and oh wait no it's going out on the 31st but we actually won't know what's going on because we'll be recording it ahead of time there's nothing like confusion is there yeah but this one we are recording on an interesting day for the news so you've been keeping up with what parliament's doing a lot more than I have today yeah today okay well, to be honest, they didn't do nearly as much as people were expecting them to. It turned into a bit of a non-entity of a day, but um, I haven't really <laughs> kept kept tabs since they. Well, they kind of left, didn't they? They had right. <laughs> they had one vote and then thought, "Fuck it, we're not going to have any more," and went home. So basically, <laughs> due to the Ben Act, they had to have a clear deal negotiated by mm. today yeah. so that it could be voted on by parliament. Yeah. Should I should I do a quick... And ex- be, if, if they didn't do that, they'd have to ask for an extension. Shall I do a quick explanation me? of what the mechanism that was happening today was, and uh, which is basically how motions go through and amendments yeah. are applied? It's kind of a bit of a complicated legal... So the government put forward a motion, which is they table the withdrawal agreement that they've made with the EU in this instance and then the speaker will decide on what are known as amendments are allowed to be debated Um, so basically if there's anyone in the House of Commons that doesn't like the motion that's put forward as it is they might suggest a change that can be made to it Um, and that's what happened today Um, if the House votes that they will accept that change, that cha- that amendment will be added to the original motion and then they'll vote on whether or not to pass it. 
and make it law, or at least pass it under the House of Lords. But um, in this case, uh, the the Oliver Letwin amendment, which was to, in principle, agree the withdrawal bill, but not to um, actually um, sort of legally uh, endorse it until the legal things had been made. So it kind of a provisional yeah, it had agreement. had to go but through the House of Lords and basically become law, yeah. meaning that you'd have to ask for an extension unless you wanted it to be very tight because it's unusual for a bill of this size to pass in, what, 12 days? Basically saying... Yes, we'll agree with we'll we'll pass the we'll pass the uh, the motion as presented, but we'll we'll wait until the house has debated all the kind of intricacies of it and made them legal first. <clears throat> so if they could do that before the thirty first, then we'd still be moving on the thirty first. But we never got as far as the second amendment, which would have been a second referendum, um, which I'm sure hundreds of thousands of people outside were most. Did you did you see the cheer that went up though when they? When the Letwin bill yeah. passed, <clears throat> but basically that means that, seeing as they were actually put forth as amendments to a bill that never actually got voted on, they didn't really pass. It just means that they didn't actually put the deal forward because it would be different to the actual deal that they made. So what's happening at the moment is that. Obviously, Parliament have agreed to amend the motion as it was presented today. Government have now decided that they're not going to continue with that motion because um, it will probably more than likely lead to an extension of the deadline, which, which Boris uh, Johnson is he's, vehemently he's, opposed to. Uh, yeah, I mean, technically by law, he's got to ask for it in the next hour and a half, but he said pretty much straight away afterwards that he's not going to negotiate a delay with them. Um, so, yeah. But basically, Monday the speaker's going to come back because the Tory party are going to potentially put forward the same motion again on Monday, which without the amendment. There's some or is it questions as to <laughs> whether or not they're actually allowed to do that because there's this rule about not putting the same question to Parliament twice yeah. in the same session. Except that did happen under Theresa May, didn't it? And he stopped it on a third attempt. Yeah. <laughs> well, because then it just gets a bit ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there is speculation that the Speaker's likely to say they can't put it forward again, as it is. But um, all of that's kind of up in the air. So this uh, new story, which probably news to both of us, uh, well, not necessarily news in its sort of overview, but some of the details might be. So this is from BBC. Uh, Johnson vows to press on despite defeat over deal today. Uh, deal delay, sorry. Um, right. So basically, uh, Donald Tusk's at the moment waiting. For yeah, that was a tweet of less than two hours ago to saying that he has to yeah we know we he has to ask for an extension by 11 o'clock on the night of the recording i wonder what form that i mean but in in the uh ben act i wonder what form legally the letter has to take yeah whether it has to be a physical letter because 
Well, there's a lot of speculating on, you know, whilst he still does have to send a letter, could he send another one saying, oh, just kidding, I don't actually want this, the government doesn't actually want this. Wait, but surely yeah, but people are actually taking note of how they're responding to things in Parliament I anyway. have heard legal talk about that from experts saying that, you know, that that's kind of against the spirit of the law as, it, as the Ben Act was kind of... So, you know, if that was taken to court... You know, it would be likely that a judge would say that that would be would not be in keeping with the law, as but it as it was intended. I think he's not really concerned with the spirit of the law. I don't think he's concerned with the law whatsoever. No, but as long as he can get around. Remembering it. that while all this is going on, there is a Scottish the Scottish High Court are waiting to see whether or not he does submit the letter before they decide whether or not they're going to just submit it for him. Mm. <laughs> Or whether but then they can. there might be different questions than that because, like, there were fears that um, Hungary could potentially veto it anyway because they were having talks. Yeah, yeah. Especially seeing as the government not actually sending it and someone else sending it, they might decide, okay, well, that means that we can vote against it because it's not actually what the government wants. But. I mean, that will all be to see in the next well, few days. Well, I mean, days. bearing in mind that probably the vast majority of this episode is going to be a mixture of news and the subject matter, shall we just, from the get-go, start addressing the subject matter in, in line with what we're discussing? Sure. Because um, tribalism, obviously, is happening in lots of different overlapping ways at the moment in this situation. Hello. Star stuff is in the room. Um, <clears throat> you've got, have you? I mean, you've got the standard sort of government versus the opposition right. going on. You've also got leavers versus remainers going on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like quite often people are wanting to present it as more polarised than it actually is though. Mm. Like the online sphere feels a lot more I guess volatile than any in-person reactions that I've seen. Yeah, It's only been like right at the extremes at like actual protests where <laughs> two sides are actually do you mind... <laughs> Star stuff's being mischievous. I'm gonna wait so that my point isn't <laughs> undermined anymore. <laughs> we have a disruptive influence in the room. Mm. Are you quite uh, finished? <laughs> Civil disobedience is going on. Yeah. Forgotten what I was saying. I think. Yeah, I, th I think. Yeah, but I, don't, I see online. Well, it depends. What who are you talking about online? Are you talking about general public, or you're actually talking about this ridiculous situation where we've got politics and um, like actually enacted on Twitter? <laughs> well, there, there is an element of that, but I mean, more like in the replies, sort of thing, where people fairly openly condemn people on the other side to death. 
Yeah, but the thing with the internet is it can be fairly, uh, what do you call it, um, anonymous. Yeah, I suppose. <clears throat> and then there is also that. I mean, the, 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 there are times where you can tell that they're almost certainly not joking, but there is that sort of element of you don't always quite know who's being ironic and who's not. Well, I'd, yeah, I can't tell what's Like if someone's isn't. saying something stupid about Brexit, <clears throat> quite often I have to check because a lot of people that are against Brexit have like EU flags in their bio well, or see, I think the, people's the, vote F. Be the difficulty with it is, is when um, when it does become a tribal issue uh, and not the issue itself that's happening. Because the number of times that I've seen people, it, it is difficult because you get people like with the climate dispute things, action that's been going on, people saying about, um, you know, that being disrupted, getting to work and stuff like that, which does... Uh, I can understand their frustrations at that, but it's not making a connection with the yeah, reason not, that the disruption's happening. It, it's not actually addressing any of the actual <clears throat> causes of this. Mm. And I think people often are reluctant to do that, to actually tackle issues head on. It's much easier to pick on one weak point that doesn't really have much to do with the main spirit of the actual argument. And there does seem to be uh, an unfortunate um, tendency to quickly descend into name-calling. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, I think as soon as that happens, you kind of lost the argument. I mean, it does depend, because there are some things in which different people will see as just stating that someone is something as a term of fact, very seriously, mm. calling someone a racist isn't just name-calling. If they've actually done something racist, then calling them a racist is just stating the facts. There. Well, see, this is one of the things that... Um, it really depends... You're, you're right, uh, to a point, but it really depends on what your end goal is, because... You're not going to change. In fact, you're going to make somebody like that worse if you call them that. What what you could more accurately say is that what they've said is is um, a racist comment. But when you label somebody, it's not going to make any difference to the actual victims of racism. There. Well, it would if if you find a way to communicate with that person that might change the way they are. Because that the, my point is that as soon as you start calling somebody like start labeling someone they're more likely to go further in that direction because they'll feel under attack Where, whereas if you can in a in an almost informative way point out how their comments are racist rather than calling them a racist so call their comments racist um, I, there's a difference because you're not making a direct personal attack then I guess I can't <clears throat> remember what we actually addressed this but um can't remember what subject it would have been but uh sort of you can have different responses depending on the you can have an appropriate response to different things if it's someone that you know quite well mm. that said something out of ignorance then it would be counterproductive to 
attack them on that. It would be more productive to educate them on that. However, even still, <clears throat> a lot of people get defensive at that. As yeah. uh, I believe you had a podcast on the other day called This Study Shows. Is that yeah. what it was? Mm. And it was talking about how people sort of get stuck in their beliefs. Mm. Even scientists, there was a study about um, uh, doctors washing their hands, yeah. saving lives. Mm. And they had clear evidence there. Well, that, that particular podcast is actually about trying to communicate information to the general public in a way that engages them. You know, there might not be, because science is a very dry subject to some people. But to go back to the, the, the point of labelling someone, I mean, I think the difficulty is if you if you see somebody say something which is clearly racist and then you call them a racist, that might that might be the only racist thing they've said that year. But because you've only come across them on that instant in that instance, you're then labelling them as a racist, whereas it, they might not actually have just they might not if you if you point out that what they're saying is an example of racism they might actually be quite horrified by that or they might have a chance to explain why they don't believe that it is right um i suppose it's about giving somebody a chance to uh modify their behavior I suppose, but there are quite a lot of cases where people just are openly and freely racist and nothing really actually happens to them. And if There's no consequence. I mean, Donald Trump and Piers Morgan are perfect examples of this. They are repeatedly... I mean, not sure Piers Morgan said that much specifically racist stuff. It's just been... But they're, they're kind of a, a they're kind of a perfect example of that tribalist kind of response, though. In that, if you call them a racist, they will turn the argument around and go on the attack against the PC brigade and make and make and demonize the opposite, the opposing side. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, someone's got to call them out of that words. And actions in I think, the case of politicians. Yeah, but I think I think the focus needs to be on calling harm. out what they're saying, not calling them out as people. Yeah, um, but at some point because, it's like it doesn't matter, they're pieces of shit as human beings. They are pieces of shit in my opinion. Yeah. Uh but I as even I as a as a bystanding listener who's not the the object of your anger there, switch off as soon as I hear you say that because it it's it's an emoted, angry response. It's not thinking logically or rationally i mean how do you diminish the power of what they're saying is more important than the guy's the of... fucking president and the other guys are morning talk show yeah. host that has been repeatedly... but as you pointed out as you've pointed out there are many many people who say the same things so you're you're the economy of your attack is a lot better spent by pointing out how racist what they're saying is because you're then covering a blanket of all the people that say that thing rather than just that one person. I I mean, I guess, but you can attack their argument at the same time as attacking them for saying it. Yeah, I think, that, but I think that if you attack them as a person, you then... Um, at some it point, it's it not going to make a difference. But it does. It it inflames it inflames opposition, and it and it is divisive, is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay, but like, 
I it's mean, just going to push them ju- further they, in that direction. They shouldn't say that in the first place, though. That blame is on them there. Yeah, but but why descend to their level and call them a piece of shit? Well, it because because that that makes you just as bad. You're you're no, it you're, does not. If if you're saying me calling Donald Trump a piece of shit makes me as bad as a racist, then that is you'd have to show some sort of actual correlation there, really. Well, for a start off, it's not actually but true. He's, he's a human being, so it's... Well, he's a disgusting <clears throat> human being. He's he disgusts you, shit. yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I I think he's got a lot to answer for. Yeah, but he never will. That's the point. It, it, he makes such a volume of vile stuff mm. that it doesn't matter calling his words racist. So, like, that's not going to do anything. But there, are, there is a lot of opposition all around the world to from a lot of people to to the kinds of things that he says. So he kind of is answering for it all the time. Um, I, I what, mean, if by you're being t- the president of the most powerful country in the world. <laughs> Yeah, but power. I mean, I, I think all of this is going to change drastically. I mean, I know what I know what you mean, and and I get your anger. I just feel that um, addressing the the fault is, I, to me, I think addressing the fault is is more constructive than addressing the person because it's like labeling labeling a criminal. Um, you know they're more than just that. I mean, he's he is a piece of shit. I agree, but I think to call him that implies that that's all he is. Um, and I don't think you can. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, yeah, some people will never change. Um, but I can see the 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 worry for me would be that if you openly call him a piece of shit, you're immediately alienating all of his supporters who will never listen to a thing you say. Then, whereas if you're less on the attack to him, you might stand a chance of actually swaying some of his supporters with your opinions because you haven't turned them off, do you know what I mean? Switched them off. I guess, but I don't think anyone was in the first place going to be convinced by me that ever actually believed in anything Trump says. Um. Well, we don't have that big an audience, do we, but... Unless I know them personally, I guess. Then I don't I could... know, we've got a few listeners in America. You'd never know some of our American listeners might be Trump supporters. I mean, I guess, but I don't know why they'd still be listening. <laughs> maybe they're not now. <laughs> it's just sort of... Or maybe they are, because I'm not... I feel like it's more dangerous to let that stuff go unchecked and not call think... it out. Yeah, um, but I think it's important the way you call it out because I think it, it, we're talking about tribalism, aren't we? We're talking about to looking at the House of Commons is a perfect example. Yes. It's set up so that opposing sides are facing each other, and you know it's no accident that our houses of Parliament are probably among the most raucous in the world, and that they just literally just shout at each other and jeer at each other and stuff. It's like opposing sides, you know, that is rather than working together. Mainly PMQs. And that's an interesting thing that 
is quite rare to our parliament where uh, the prime minister has to respond to questions that he hasn't prepared for. Oh, right. Okay. They they don't get to hear the questions ahead of time. They can be asked impromptu Mm. and they have to actually think of something on the spot and be prepared. And it's in a way to take the Prime Minister to account. It's a bit like whose line is it anyway for politicians? I don't know what that is. It's uh, it's a uh, like a comedian's panel show, but they basically, it's all improvised. Right. <laughs> they're, they're all put on the spot one by one to do something that they're not expecting, you know, they're, not, they're expecting to have to improvise, but they've no idea what, how or what about <laughs> at the time. Right. But um, th- that's relatively unusual and I think <clears throat> it, it that's the main thing that you see them all shouting about. It's only really at PMQs that that actually happens. Outside yeah. of that, it's actually fairly calm. Yeah. Because it is designed to be this adversarial catching them out sort of thing. Mm. I mean, there are some prime ministers that I think are generally a lot more in the spirit of civility, I guess. It's a difficult one because, I mean, I was just thinking about, you know, I, I have actually thought from time to time how how you would actually interact with someone like, say, Boris Johnson or Donald Trump if you met them in a in a social environment. You know, if you if you for 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 whatever reason you you I don't know you're catching a train and you end up set opposite each other or I don't know you you know you just end up having to speak to them or or given the opportunity to speak to them in an informal setting and it's difficult because I think you do have people in your life that you will only engage with to a certain point because you think that. They're just idiots. So I'm going to be nice to them, I'll, but I'm not going to kind of... Do you know what I mean? I mean, I suppose like that on a personal level, if their politics don't really define them so much as a person, other things define them more. Mm. Then, I mean, with like prime ministers and presidents, politics literally defines yeah. their entire presence. Mm. So it's kind of difficult not to think of them politically. But if you're just talking about an average person that has views that disagree with you. Well, it is a weird situation because you see them you see them having these debates across the floor in the Houses of Commons and you see them having quite controversial differences of opinion and kind of sometimes catch them kind of smirking and smiling at each other while they're putting their point across or while they're having a bit of a dig or a jibe at someone. Yeah. And it's, it is, I mean, it is a bit like you've done debating club at school, haven't you? You know, there is a certain amount of um, politics, isn't it? It's, you know, you, you're, you're arguing a point and you're, you're engaged in debate, but the difficulty, I suppose, with it is that it, it really affects people's lives. I mean, and it's difficult to, to stomach that thing, when you see it. Th- th- there's a very different atmosphere at a debating club, I think, though, because most of the people are there for similar reasons. Most right. of the people aren't exactly 
the most social yeah and have similar views as young people so it it's unlikely that there's going to be such a level of animosity yeah. on that mm. the most disputed point that i've had at a debating <clears throat> club was nuclear weapons right and that simply came down to a matter of the deterrent thing we all agreed that they're horrible things mm. but one of a few people thought they were a necessary evil yeah see that i mean it's funny you should say that on that subject of nuclear weapons you know one of the biggest sort of um singles in the 80s that i remember was the frankie goes to hollywood two tribes um song and that was about pretty much america and and the ussr and the you know the west against the commies kind of the red scare and all that and and that is an example of global scale tribalism isn't it yeah i suppose going to the red scare <coughs> there you get an interesting case of that sort of name calling but i suppose more now not everyone actually agrees that those names are bad things mm. in some cases that is a good thing in my opinion where you know this stigmatism around uh, socialism is being lifted because there's not really anything wrong with the base principles of socialism it's just that places that have purported to be socialist have executed it very poorly and with many human rights abuses. Yeah. Do 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 you not um do you not think that that perhaps there are people on the right though who who do think that there's something inherently wrong with the idea of socialism? Oh, definitely. I mean m- most people right wing probably do. And, to, to and varying degrees. I suppose that that's the the uh, the big problem with a tribalist kind of situation is how do you see things from the other side's point of view and what is the use of doing that? I mean, it's very difficult for us to put ourselves in the position of somebody who does disagree with the principles of socialism because of our standpoint on it. Um, The most useful thing there would be to examine... What series of events lead them to think a certain way, I Mm. suppose. Uh, Brexit is a perfect example of loads of different people from loads of different backgrounds having different reasons for wanting to vote either for or against Brexit. Loads of working class people that would normally be quite left wing that kind of voted against what was the side of the left wing voted for Brexit because they saw it as a vote against the establishment and a vote for change. And also there are a bunch of lies that they were told. But I I can't see a a way forward into the future without that becoming a more prominent feature of of new politics is that... The, I mean, it sounds very kind of socialist because I suppose it is the power to the people kind of thing. People's assemblies and citizens' assemblies. Because the political system that our civilization has evolved is not working. It's 
you know, it's not functioning. Um, well, I don't know. It seems to not be functioning or working from our standpoint. Maybe it is functioning perfectly well for the elites. Well, here's the thing. It's not it? really going well for either side. So unless you're on the side of being increasingly frustrated with everything going to shit, which, I mean, disaster capitalist may be, a lot of people profit off of, well, not a to be honest, fairly few people profit off of the fall of the pound. Mm. And a lot of them are the kinds of people that have been funding Brexit. But then you get situations like what's happening in Chile at the moment in their capital city. Um, because although they have some of the richest people in the continent, they, they also have the biggest inequality and they're having mass riots at the moment that have been going on for days because of a 90 pence increase in train fares. That, that's what started the demonstrations off and they've spilled over into riots. And it, and it is that inequality um, and, and the, you know, the, the, the drop in the value of the currency that's happened and the, the rise in energy prices that have happened that have caused it to be supposedly necessary. The people that suffer the most from that are the ones that don't have anything to start with, really. You know, they're living in, in poverty or on the just on the on the borderlines of poverty. They notice these changes. Um and that puts a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on society as a whole because they are the majority. Mm. So that's when you start getting people that's when you get civil unrest, you know. Um well, I that's guess going to get more and more. This sort of, and I do find it actually quite funny sometimes. This sort of vying over what working class people want and calling out other people for being elite. Mm. Now that means lots of different things to lots of different people. I would say elite is more an indicator of wealth. That yeah, that's probably what it's come to mean now, isn't it? Um, well, that's what it should mean, but I feel like even though a lot of these people are privately educated anyway, are using this to basically call experts that may have worked hard to actually save up money to go to a university elite just for having a university level education. Yeah, I mean, as a, I mean, as I was saying, to me, the the income, the money part is is what it's come to be known as. But really, I suppose what I what I used to think of the word elite as meaning was the best. Um, so to me, the word elite used to mean just the best at what you do. Um, I suppose, but it's it's but become a lot more. It doesn't of anymore, a thing to yeah. avoid being. Yeah. It, it it sort of has this. Um, now it's the pe- it's the Davos crowd. Uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of them simply aren't the best. No, they just have the most. Yeah, so it's sort of when when a lot of people try and claim that capitalism is a good thing that sort of a meritocratic thing that helps rise the best people to the top I mean you don't have to look far to 
I mean, Donald Trump's a perfect example of someone who was crap at what they did. Yeah. And didn't work very hard for what they have right now. Well, the, but the thing is, they very often are. I mean, the, this this um, head of Thomas Cook that's, you know, had £4 million in bonuses that he's refusing to give back because he says he's worked really hard for it. Um, and it, and it is that, you know, how how do you... How do you get that amount of bonus when you're driving a company into the ground, you know? Mm. Um, but I wonder whether or not... I don't know if it's just because I'm taking much more of an interest in it or if it is just that they are, because of the uh, communications revolution, being outed now, basically. But I'd never heard of Davos until a couple of years ago. Um, and for those who don't know what it is, is it an annual thing? I think so. Um where the super rich and super powerful have basically a a, a conference, a, a big summit meeting, don't they? Um, yeah. And it's you know literally it's tens of thousands of pounds a night to to stay there. Um, it's it's not just like the super rich billionaires; it is also like heads of state that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, people, it's a world economic forum. People which, with power in the right hands could be. To use the world's economy to better humanity, yeah. But in the wrong hands, as it is in my opinion now, is just a way of saving their own asses. Mm. I mean, um, you started watching a lot of the stuff produced by Extinction Rebellion, yeah, and listening to it, yeah, which. A lot of people see as quite fringe. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I I'd never heard of them until we went on the striking for climate change um, day. I um, heard of them when they're doing things in April, and I think possibly yeah, I'd I'd, I'd heard of Reclaim the Streets, which I think was a uh, I don't know if they're a, an affinity group, but I mean they're not actually a single organisation as such. No, I mean, that's the thing about quite a few of the more left-wing organisations. I've never really understood. Is that what grassroots means? When when something's not centralised and not organised from a kind of, you know, there's not like a, a central kind uh, of... I'm not entirely sure. I, I thought it more meant that it was like funded more by small donors, that sort of thing, where like, passionate individuals rather than one big mm. uh, rich person propping <coughs> up an organisation. It was more based on if we all band together. Yeah. Sort of like small things leading to one big thing, hence grassroots. Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I agree it's... It, it can be a, con- a controversial subject, uh, that whole civil disobedience thing. Um because it has the potential to disrupt everyone. Um, and, you know, I can understand some people's opposition to having their lives disrupted because, you know, the idea is to, um, I don't know, I suppose there's lots of different ideas. Some people just want to bring public awareness up. But the the, the main aim of that kind of, protest is to make governments and corporations set up and take notice um 
And there is a lot of research that's been done about about those kinds of um, tactics, if you like. Um, apparently, it only takes about 1% to 3% of the population to start making governments and corporations have to do something, have to set up an act kind of thing. But it is a difficult thing. I mean, I know there was the thing with the tube train. Um, but those were people that were going against what most of the people in the organization actually want yeah if um but the, the thing is the publicity behind it is is not always doesn't is, isn't always clear on that um the people who did that you know i mean extinction rebellion as an organization aren't gonna say to somebody no don't do that but they did advise that they that they shouldn't do that, that it wasn't a good idea, that it might be a bit, you know. Yeah, it, well, it's sort of counterproductive as well because... But they are against it, that whole kind of central rule kind of ethos. It is a, yeah. a community kind of project. So like any thing. person that's free to <clears throat> leave at if any you want to rebel, <laughs> If you want to rebel, you can do it. You have the right to do that as an individual. So. Yeah. So it's simply... Um, Grassroots movements and organisations use collective action from the local level to affect change at local, regional, national or international level. And I think, really, from what I've seen of... Because, obviously, I'm interested in what they do and how they do it, but I'm also aware that um, there are organisations around and they have been accused by other people of being a cult, you know, which is... An interesting kind of... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen people accusing them of being, you know, saying that it's sad that so many people have been brainwashed. And it's like, well, I, th I can see why, where people might have that idea because a lot of it does look really weird, all the kind of chanting and the, you know, the kind of... But a lot of that is done to keep things non-violent, to keep things calm, you know. I mean, chants are... You do fairly staple to <laughs> chants are a staple to protest really but i think the thing about it is that there are so many different kinds of people involved in that as a as a wider organization that you're going to get some hippies there you're going to get some buddhists there you're going to get some street performance artists there but you're also getting doctors lawyers teachers yeah, professionals from every level of society. You're getting grandparents. You're getting kids that are coming along with. Well, actually, when I say kids coming along with their parents and their grandparents, I mean little kids. But obviously, a lot of this has been energized specifically by the youth, if you like, because they're the ones with the biggest um, stake in the future of of our planet. But it is interesting to see how, in general. This is a tribal kind of thing in that there are a lot of people taking taking notice of the, the the scientific facts and treating them as urgent as you would think yeah would be obvious because the general kind of the general kind of ethos is that people are following that what the what the governments and that are doing saying you know we're going to reduce things gradually and bring it down by this and that and 2050 is a good a, a realistic kind of goal but it's like it doesn't matter what's realistic what matters is what's happening because it's not a, you can't negotiate yeah. with nature it's not just going to 
make a few people's lives a bit more difficult, it's going to kill millions. You can't say hang on ice caps, just just melt a bit slower because it's not and reasonable to I think uh, to force this on us that it's quickly. It's a one in twenty chance that it could lead to the extinction of humanity altogether, which while That's not very big. You know, mostly is okay. I mean, a lot of that area, there's still a lot of damage being done. Yeah, it feels like something that if there's an extinction possibility there and there's something that you can do to minimise that, then you should be doing everything in your power to do so. But the thing is, the people in general, the people that it's that have the the most ability to eff, to eff, to effect change, like in our kind of society, are gonna be the ones that by the time they notice it, there's already gonna be billions of people dead and you know, thousands of species extinct. Um, I mean, there already are thousands of species extinct. And the science is showing that even if we went to zero net emissions today, the carbon dioxide content of the atmosphere would continue to increase because of the cyclical nature of it. You can't... I mean, I've looked into the the options of um, carbon offsetting, which is paying for projects that put that take carbon out of the atmosphere that you've been responsible for emitting and it's a great idea um as long as it's not the only thing that you do it's going to help obviously but it takes time you know you you plant a tree it's going to take 20 to 30 years to remove carbon from the atmosphere by which time you know but at some point it does reach uh what they think i think they call um runaway uh climate change yeah feedback loops well, basically, as ice in the sea melts, usually the ice reflects quite a bit of the heat actually coming in out into space again. Mm. But instead, it's being absorbed by oceans, which melts but more ice, which means that more heat is being absorbed into ocean, which means more fish die. There's multiple things. Sea going levels on. rise. You get acidification of the ocean as well, which which affects how much oxygen it can soak up because there's the, the actually the ocean soaks up a lot more than the than the forests. Um, you mean carbon? Yeah, sorry, I meant carbon. Yeah, um, but the other thing is that as these um, ice caps are melting, they're releasing pockets of methane that have been trapped down there, concentrated methane that have been trapped down there for a long time, and that's the stuff that's that's many many times more harmful than carbon dioxide. So yeah, and that's being released in a in a short space of time, you know. I understand when um, it does sound quite alarmist to people, and and people think that that, that it's that it's a way of that it just makes people lose hope that, that, that there's nothing they can do about it. But it, it's sort of a thing. Kind of of is. <laughs> most people actually can't do much about it. There are a few well, people that can do quite a bit about it, but it <clears throat> isn't good for their shareholders and their. But if you get a million people, account. if you get a million people who have two options to affect change, one is to, and well, they can actually do both of these. But if it was a straight choice between changing their own lifestyles. To using less plastics, using less fossil fuels, going net zero 
carbon emissions, that that million people, they're going to be potentially able to be responsible for a lot more change if they turn their efforts to making it impossible for the governments and the corporations who can make massive changes. Well, that's the point of this, making them. That's make the, the point changes. of this disruption. Whilst you know going to <coughs> cleaner beach, you know each starfish that you throw back in the sea and each piece of plastic you pick up, that's going to have a fairly small impact. But for two weeks, flooding the streets of major cities, mm. forcing governments to act in ways that make their courts fairly nervous, it, it, well, it puts them in a really difficult position. That means that they have to at least take note of it. Well, I mean, okay, to get away slightly from that, but to come back to it later, um, th- these are, these are, I'm, I'm making loose connections with tribalism because they, the, the opinions that we're talking about that you, you mentioned that podcast about the, uh, this study shows thing, and that that is about communicating ideas to people, and it doesn't matter from the research, it doesn't matter how true something is, people tend a lot more to go with the people around them or the people that they trust as opposed to listening to the experts because they're experts. Um, Because there is, humanity is a very social uh, species Um, and there is safety with going with the crowd. Um, Or going with people that you trust, but a lot of the times that you trust someone, you don't really trust them for something related to anything that's actually being discussed. You just trust them on a general level mm. because uh, quite often because they have similar skin colour, they come from a similar background, they're the same gender, they're the same age group. I mean, in terms of protests, I suppose the French really know what they're doing with that, don't they? <laughs> Yes, um, France are quite renowned for civil resistance, I suppose. Yeah, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but they, looking at the way they've done it and the results that they've got from it, might you know, I'm sure people have studied all of that. But I am, I am interested to see where all I, this I would is hope going. That they have <laughs> one of the um, extinction rebellion mantras if you like is regenerative regenerative culture which um obviously there'll be a lot of them that are absolutely knackered now so they're basically having a rest period now um uh, what where kind they, of arrest well not not the kind of arrests they've been having over the last couple of weeks but presumably that's what was happening between april and october this year because they had the the bridge yeah. things in April. Well, it, it's so I'm assuming that they're going to come back with something again around about Easter time. It is quite intensive, and I think a lot of them have been there the whole two weeks. And I would imagine it's quite as a, well. I would imagine it is quite a shock to actually come back to everyday life from yeah. that. 
I, I mean, mean, I've I've been to Glastonbury for three days, and and that's a culture shock coming back out of that. You know, yeah, and, that, and you're not even actually actively doing much there. You're just you're you're an observer more than any anything. But a lot of them have been literally sleeping on the street or in cells. Yeah, and probably quite rightly feeling like they're changing the world. Um, yeah, and it, it and just then feels you've like got to something... come back to your. You've got to come right back down then into normal everyday life and cope with that. Um, it just feels like something that is too big to ignore, and yet a lot of people still are. And uh, coming back with really petty arguments, this sort of I wonder oh, how much people actually believe it. I think they genuinely do. It's because they just don't want to think about something that is legitimately an existential threat because understandably it's not a nice thing to think about no well, no one that not not many people that actually wanted to have to be there mm. but they still felt like they did need to be there people will believe all sorts of things and i suppose that the principle behind it being easier to believe something that's more comfortable um you know i mean like okay so the climate scientists are warning us about this. The governments and um, some corporations are saying that they're doing this, that and the other to try to uh, combat this problem. The two don't match, but it's easier to accept what the governments and corporations are doing as an attempt and to trust them than it is to say uh, we're terrified the human race could could be wiped out. Yeah. (laughs) Not to mention everything else that's going to happen. I mean, whilst, I mean, 5% doesn't exactly feel like a great odd there when you're talking about humanity as a whole. No matter what, I mean, we've already seen this. There's going to be a lot of people killed by this. Well, I wonder, and a lot more people displaced. Th- this is what I mean when I say about we're in an area where it's going to be kind of least obvious for the for the longest time, unless the jet stream breaks down. Um, I mean, permanently, we're fairly well protected here from it. But if you lived in here, Japan at the moment, but, I would imagine it's damn obvious that it's shit going down. Well, yeah, or or in in Grand Bahama, you know. Well. You- I mean, there's entire countries that are essentially going to go underwater in... There's lots of places that are... ...a space of a few decades. Getting increased <laughs> desertification and droughts and, and I mean, obviously that, refugee yeah. crises. And these are all symptoms, all the stuff that's going on. And I wonder... I mean, you say we won't be affected that much, but a lot of Aberdeen's going to get flooded at some point. Aberdeen, yeah, we're quite high up. I mean, yeah, I say when I say that, I'm talking in terms of just the flood water, but there's a lot more to it than that. There's socioeconomic factors yeah. that are going to affect everybody. I mean... Um, and the worry is, I think, the worry is that when you start looking at the the distinct possibility of a breakdown in society, it becomes really scary when you look at the reality of what that yeah. means because people are capable of... But the ultra-rich people already know this. Yeah. They regularly invite top scientists on how they can survive themselves, even if it means that 
most of well, there was a guy will perish. Yeah, there was a guy that was um, brought into a, one of the conferences at Davos by a group of, I think it was five of the most powerful, richest men in the world, um, asking about how they keep their security guards loyal around the bunker that they're going to be in once the event happens, which is what they call the breakdown of society. Um, <coughs> because obviously paying them in money is not going to be any use to them. No. Um, so it's, it is... You could in some ways think, well, maybe they're being just as hysterical about it in their own way. But it's difficult to... It's difficult to argue with scientific research. It's, yeah, well, <laughs> you, you want to be able to. You want to be able to say this is a this is a doomsday scenario. This is, okay, it could happen, but it's highly unlikely. But that's the thing. I think can't. a lot of people trying to deny this console themselves with little bits of cherry pick data that are largely anomalous. That are actually pieces of good news. For the world, but it's sort of. But then, when you put it, that in, they're detracting. When you put it in the perspective argument, of a species whose, I don't know what this what the statistics are now, but for the for the vast majority of our species history, most of us have believed in an afterlife because we can't face the prospect that we're all going to die. Yeah. Now, there's no evidence for that, and and suppose. For the mass majority of at least um, what you'd call civilization, mm. rather than just the species history, because I suppose it's not quite the same. For most of the species no history, evidence, we probably didn't think about. Well, there's no evidence for it. It's kind of a perfect a faith thing because there can't be any evidence against it either. Yeah, no um, one's lived to see it. <laughs> um, but this is something that there is a lot of evidence for. Um, so it's a lot more difficult to. Mm. It's not one of those absence of evidence things that belief is usually based on. Um, there does seem to be a lot of things nowadays, nowadays um, based around denying science, really. And I think it just comes from this series of false correlations with... So, like with flat earthers, for example, mm. a lot of them start off that belief with that the moon landings were faked. Yeah, but I, d I rarely actually see people pulling them up on the, the actual bit of the moon landings being faked. Um, so they start on that and then go. Oh well, NASA can lie about anything, and then they hear See, about composite imaging where they. Thing is, I can't take that argument seriously about the moon landings being faked because to me they're just basically believing the plot of Capricorn One. I don't know if you've heard of Capricorn One, the no. film. <laughs> that, that's pretty much essentially exactly what happened in the, in the plot of Capricorn One, which is a, a highly entertaining, very dated, probably now um, sci-fi film, but. It's, um, but there's loads of reasons why they, they couldn't have been faked. Um, well, just for example, for anyone having doubt, uh, there were parallel shadows in the original broadcast of the moon landing. Right. 
which can only be produced by having a very far away light source. Right. Because yeah. it with ours, if we were standing uh, side by side, they would be at an angle to each other because the yeah. light's very close. Yeah. Um, so there would have to be. But the other thing is, I can't. What, what I can't doing that outside of a studio. What do people who believe this think is the benefit of faking them? What? Why would anyone go to that amount yeah. of trouble? I mean, there's what, a lot of this sort of. Uh, assumptions so they assume that okay NASA's lying about the earth being round now because they do like the things that you do with like a panorama to get a full shot of the earth because it's quite difficult to take a photo of the earth because it's quite expensive to send stuff up there (laughs) far enough away to get a full shot of it Oh, right. They think it's just like a panorama shot. When well, it is a panorama shot, basically. But they're taking that as meaning that has been completely fictionally produced. Right, okay. Uh, so then they assume, oh, it must be flat. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the, a the whole bunch of questions that sort of, okay, how come people have been to Antarctica? And it's not just a giant ice wall. Oh, the, they didn't exist. Okay, how about... Um, then you get into people believing that Australia doesn't even exist. And then you're just like, a whole, what? I'm thinking to myself it, it just, now, though, that like... Viciously cycles. You can into- take panoramic photos that go round in a circle. If the world was flat, you wouldn't be able to do that. You would have you'd be, you'd be having to move sideways, like 10 miles maybe, to take the next photo. Well, there's this quote <laughs> from... Uh, NASA scientist who was involved in taking photos of the Earth, mm. saying that they used composite images because there are certain bits where it doesn't exactly match up. Yeah. But you can see it. I mean, um, on Google Maps now, they have got maps of other planets and the moon, and they're not quite perfect. There are bits that are different colours to each other and they don't quite match up. It's sort of like a jigsaw puzzle. Plus- because it's made up of lots of different photos. Yeah, that's like saying, like, say, because we've got an A4 um, scanner upstairs. Mm. Say I wanted to take a, a photocopy of an A3 picture. We have a thing where you can stitch two halves together. So the fact that I have to stitch those two halves together doesn't mean that the A3 picture doesn't exist. But then they get into this presumption from one false bit of... From one false assumption, believing that this entire organisation was created to trick people for what reason? It's not quite certain. That's, that's then the then there's a bunch me, of this speculation, and th- that model. It's has not loads just for me about it. having a valid reason to do that, but it's also about why. I mean, you'd need a lot of people to be involved in the company. Yeah. And there would be have there would have to be tons of people, either keeping their mouths shut or being killed, in order to preserve this massive conspiracy that you're not even sure why it's happening. So then, you do get into that sort of which sounds I suppose, more like the mentality. fossil fuels kind of issue. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there were people back then from those companies that did study the impact of fossil fuels, but their voices were suppressed. The thing is, as well, I mean, there are two kind of... 
I suppose there are lots of in-between kind of viewpoints, but you've got to think who who is most likely to be pulling the wool over people's eyes? Who has the most to gain from people not seeing the truth? Mm. You know? I think it was... I had a, one of them memes that I shared. Like, what's more likely that 97% of the world's most skilled scientists are collaborating together to fool everyone into thinking that that extinction, extinction is a possibility? Uh, or... Even if it is alarmism... We create cleaner air, cleaner energy. I mean, nicer places to live altogether. Yeah, yeah I want an electric Just car. a nicer world. The only thing that worries me about electric cars is how quiet they are. But people just have to start looking. Um, I mean, obviously, it doesn't really help blind people. But, <laughs> you know, it, that they are looking into ways of making... Um, Electric cars make more noise, so you can hear them coming. You know? Yeah, but, I mean, um, it's not that hard to produce sound. But, um, but it, what was I going to say? I was going to say something, and my brain just stopped working. I think it's when you get to this, these issues where, and I think it is largely due to people reaching out to each other on the internet these where- are i was yeah i was gonna say i'm sorry to interrupt but i'm getting excited about the whole subject okay <laughs> Go ahead. but these are all aspects of the information revolution because all of this stuff that is happening all the time we saw it a lot with the Extinction Rebellion coverage that, you know, it got very little coverage on the BBC, but we were following it a lot on the on the direct live streams that were going out. Yeah. And there was a lot to see that we weren't seeing. Now, that immediately tells me that before access to the internet was so easy, before it was around even, we were just basically told what we were told and fed what we were fed. Right. You know? Um I mean, there's no way that that would have even been got got organised or come together before the internet. And I think it's a lot of people that, and uh, I'm sorry, but a lot of them are of your age group because they haven't grown up with this, <coughs> that aren't aware how to discern information. I mean, not everyone of my age group is either, but no. on a general level, I feel like my generation's a lot more savvy at discerning information I would hope when they so. want to. I don't know. Uh, I would hope so. I, I think it could be a lot better, but there are people of all age groups that really do need to check out, just be aware of the sources of, of everything and, and what it means when you share something, you know, when you repost something. It's not just, I mean, it's gossip. You know, yeah. if you just share something without thinking about what it, it's Chinese whispers, you know, you, you could actually be responsible for um, a chain letter that goes around the world saying something that's not true that actually affects the future of your species. Yeah. So it it matters. It's not just... I mean, it, it matters when you're saying it verbally down the pub, but it's not just that it's that. It's, it's like putting something in print, you know? But I think it's sort of... People and a lot of these people are just genuinely skeptic people, mm. which I appreciate because I mean, for quite a while, the established belief has been that there is a god. However, 
there's no proof of that. So I think a lot of these people do, I mean, a fair amount of them do start with the assumption of there being a god and then use that <clears throat> to try and find that the earth is flat. I think it's important as well to, for me, I think a splintering is a, is a good thing in that there does seem to be, when you're looking at it in terms of tribalism, it's a lot easier to keep a conflict going when there's only two sides. Yeah. Whereas the more you break down people into different subsets, well, that, the that, more they become a society of... That's the thing, going back to like calling people racist, there is a complex... A, a complex dynamic going on there with what an appropriate response to that might be. Hmm. I think people get their backs up as well when they hear the word racist, because even though it means the same thing, well, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing, but there's the same connotations. If you call somebody, if you say that somebody's prejudiced, but they might be less, slightly less insulted by the, by the word prejudiced than the word racist. I suppose. Because it's used as more of an insult more often, I suppose. Um, I mean, the, the word racist itself does take on very different connotations as well. But, I mean, most people would accept that it's a black-white thing, definitely. But then there's also this kind of nationalistic... A lot of people have uh, almost... Uh, I'll, I might have to explain this. Uh, parasocial relationship with uh, prominent politicians or at least public figures that speak on political issues. Do you know what parasocial? No. Uh, basically, it's this feeling of that a celebrity is your friend. Right, yeah. So a lot of people have this, because they just watched and <clears throat> listened to their, I suppose, content for such a long time that they feel like they actually know this person, but of course this person is very unlikely. Did you feel to like that when them. we went to see Dario Breen? Uh in in a small extent. I mean I I is guess it that kind of to is it that kind of I mean even people that you 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 don't necessarily like, is it that kind of I wonder how I would react socially with them if I had a chance to just have a conversation with them. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, I, I was on a video shoot for Muse uh, back on their second album and um, found myself in a position where um, I was being picked up by a friend of mine while they were in the middle of the shoot. So um, Matt, the lead singer, who's obviously a lot more famous now than he was then, um, but he was still quite famous then was just kind of hanging around outside at the same time and I just I was just having a chat with him and it it was weird because he seemed like a really nervous kind of he seemed really uncomfortable and really kind of not not able to have that kind of relaxed social connection yeah maybe because maybe the further you get into that world the more you're sheltered from real people i don't know but i mean with that the they do a very tailored performance where they are supposed to be this big, bigger-than-life person. But with politicians, that's going on almost all the time. You know, they're followed around by reporters. Yeah. Whilst musicians and other kinds of celebrities are, it's not quite in the same way where they actually care what they're saying. It's more that they're just looking for salacious details. I wonder if 
I mean, there's more at risk, I suppose, as a politician, because there are those times when you when they get caught off guard, when their mic's left on, when they're not, you know, they're not yeah sure that it is the the fate of a nation kind of hangs in your hands especially if you're getting up to like right at the top level Mm. you know boris johnson having a phone call with angela merkel parts of that being leaked meant that the pound dropped massively over the course of one phone call and that could literally be a matter of life and death to somebody who's on the breadline yeah um I'm going to suggest. I, mean, I wouldn't want that kind of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to suggest because I've run out of beer that we take a little break. Okay. And then we come back and we commence. And we're back. Yes, we are. Right. So, uh, seeing as, I mean, news has actually developed. Since we started the podcast, which we have looked at in the interval. Indeed. Would you like to summarise? A photocopy of the letter which the Ban Act required to be sent to the EU has been received by Donald Tusk, but Boris Johnson refused to sign it. I'm not entirely sure how that works. (laughs) so technically what he said this morning or this afternoon, whenever it was, about he's refusing to negotiate an extension with them um, and that and that the law doesn't compel him to do so, I suppose Basically, a letter's been sent. All it requires <laughs> is for him to send one letter, but it doesn't actually require him to argue the case for the UK getting an extension. I wonder how he got it there. I mean, it's said a photocopy's been sent. Presumably, maybe, what do you think, he sort of e- emailed the PDF to them or something? I don't know. I don't think it's particularly important. Well, a photocopy seems like a, speci- a specific thing, and it's a bit <coughs> dated, a photocopy. Even and The government's a bit dated. Even we don't really photocopy something. We we scan it and print it out again. Yeah. It's <laughs> They basically sent a copy of the letter, but didn't actually write one themselves. We, I, <laughs> That's so symbolic, though, isn't it? I couldn't even be asked to type it out. We literally just sent the copy yeah. that was in the Ben Act. I, I think, basically, he didn't want to give any impression that he condoned this in any way. He just wanted to say, okay, this is what I'm legally required to do. Here it is. Did they not say, he, well, they sent a separate, he sent a separate letter? Sent uh, three letters in total, apparently. Right. I'm not sure what they contained. I think I heard something about one of them um, encouraging them to keep working towards the 31st of October deadline. I didn't right. know what the third letter meant, though. Okay. What the third letter said. They might have been going through that before we started again. Who knows? Right. So, with that, what do you think is going to happen with the EU responding? Ah, who knows? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I mean, it is. Really not going to be anyone to argue our corner, directly at least. And, I mean, possibly quite the opposite. It sounds it like it's been encouraging them to vote against Whether it. or not they see their role as negotiating with Boris Johnson or negotiating with the UK. I think they see it a lot more as trying to do what's best. Well, both for the EU, but also... For in legal terms, they less priority. Work, uh, 
lower down in the list of priorities, but also wanting it to end at least okay for the UK because that would be good for the EU as well. But in terms of this particular decision as to whether or not to grant an extension, they would look at it in terms of whether whether or not the request has been submitted according to the UK's constitution, which we don't have a written constitution, but we have a is it a legal is it a legal up. document according to our laws, the UK law? Well, it's a legal document <laughs> according to the Ben Act, which is one of our laws now. Yeah. Because um, I did notice that once they'd finished with their things the other day, sorry, I'm clack, cracking my fingers. Once they'd finished with their negotiations the other day and got their agreed withdrawal bill with Boris Johnson, they were straight on to dealing with other issues, which at the moment for them is trying to get Albania and Macedonia into the EU because they've both applied for membership. So the, the North the, Macedonia. Is it North Macedonia, is it? Yeah, they had a whole naming dispute. Um I don't know if you remember when we were doing the Bollocks report, um the Prime Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia. Well it's now just North Macedonia, I think. Just Macedonia because the Greeks claimed that that was an area of Greece that was famous. Well that's what I thought. When when see when I heard the name <laughs> Macedonia I thought is not is Macedonia not like a Part of Greece. Part of Macedonia. Part of what used to be the Macedonian Empire is in modern-day Greece and part of it is in modern-day Macedonia. I imagine part of it's probably in Bulgaria as well, but they're not really piping up about that. Well, no. Probably don't want to be associated with racists. (laughs) And you did say that we were going to get onto that (laughs) with um, a masterful segue. (laughs) Whilst I do condemn the racist chants there, this is, um, by the way, in relation to racism in football. Yeah, uh, monkey noises from the crowd, wasn't it? But yeah, against black footballers. <clears throat> um, to which, uh, quite pleasantly, uh, the English supporters, unusually non-racist, <laughs> were chanting that you know what you are, you know what you are, you're racist, or something like that, t- towards the Bulgarian side. Yeah. So is this tribalism now rising up between racists and non-racists? I mean, <laughs> that's an interesting thing, especially in the case of Scotland, because <laughs> um, I did hear, I can't remember who it was, Scottish comedian... I can't remember his name, though. Larry Dean, I think. Um, He made a point about England becoming more far-right and racist. Mm. And in response, in a way, sort of continuing a trend of racism towards English people from Scottish people. Although, to be honest, it doesn't have a huge effect. So it's not like there's really... I mean, I don't. You'll probably have more. I think I know what you get. What you're hinting at is that Scotland, in reaction to England's rising racism, have decided to become more cosmopolitan. Yeah. (laughs) Which, well, I suppose I don't know because I don't know if the history of um, Scottish. It's not. Well, this is. Is it racism or is it just nationalism? Um, If you're talking about. animosity between Scots and Angles. It it depends how it manifests. It's tribalism, isn't it? 
but whether it's racist or nationalist, it's just... I mean, sometimes it does manifest personally as you have likely experienced. It's ridiculous, though. It gets... You get, like... I mean, on the highest level you get between the 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 West and the Reds, the the commun- the West and the East is that is that probably the the global scale tribalism. But it goes right down to like Huntley versus Inverurie, and you know yeah. we used to have Wellingborough versus Rushton. I mean, there's local- a, there is a friendly amount of tribalism, and sports is a great example of this. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, it can, uh, that can get quite vicious, though, between oh, yeah. different towns. Definitely. Like, uh, within <clears throat> Glasgow, there's uh, quite a famous rivalry between Rangers and Celtic, hmm. which... Is that not based on... Well, it's largely connected to religion in the same way that the fight in Northern Ireland was, where you've got Catholics represented by one side and Protestants yeah, represented I mean, by the other. I, I know that's where the, the lines are kind of drawn, and that's... It's just. It seems to me like the two have very little to do with each other, other than what each nation um, states is their national religion. Because at the end of the day, nationalist nationalism and unionism are only relevant if the state has a religion. That has been quite a. In that instance, that's been quite an interesting subject, especially since. The UK is quite weird in that it still has a monarchy, despite claiming to be democratic, where the monarch's religion... I mean, the Queen is head of the Church of England, which is Protestant, to my yeah. knowledge. See, I find that hilarious. Not not that, but I find it hilarious that there's all this anti-European sentiment about taking back sovereignty, and our monarch is German. <laughs> well, entire mon- Well, yeah, our entire royal family is uh, of German descendants. But then... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Star stuff's a Viking. Her husband's from Greece, I think. What am I? I'm dark-haired. Would I be more Roman? I, I mean, um, Roman I did look up the origins of Brill, like etymologically. I think that was German, wasn't it? No, it's. it's I think it originates like sort of around. You, you've got a very boring name, to be honest, last name-wise. What, Brill? Yeah. I'm a fish. Well, no, like, where it comes from... I can't remember. It was just, like, a people living in Flatland. It's not anything particularly oh, interesting. I thought it was people that were really good at what they did. People said that, thought, said that they were brilliant. They originate from Wales or Chester. I've discovered two places. 15th century of unknown origin. European flatfish that resembles a turbot. Well, that's something else, but... Um, <laughs> Excellent. Marvellous. What? Well, no, it just comes from brilliant. Yeah. That, that's just yeah. a that's just a shortening of that, but that's not where your last name comes from. Yeah, it is. Uh, <sighs> when, do you, when do you mean my last name anyway? It's your last name as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it. it's unlikely that it comes from any particularly interesting I don't know but anyway yeah uh, it's all kind of irrelevant isn't it I mean yeah to be honest it's all based on imaginary lines what we're talking about is genetics really and nobody regardless of what your family history might be nobody's absolutely certain that the genes come from your own family anyway no (laughs) I mean with those things like um, ancestry.com and 23andMe 
a lot of that, although people will claim, oh, the, I'm X percent this, that's merely actually the chance that you have any genes from there. Yeah. My genes Rather than... Go. Oh, my God. <sighs> they won't have heard that. You haven't got a microphone. You can't make funny jokes if you haven't got a microphone. Star Stuff's genes comes from Tesco. I wouldn't boast about that. They sell everything in plastic. Anyway, <laughs> on with... Um, I mean, religion's a perfect example of tribalism, and it had to come up at some point. See, the Greeks had multiple gods. This is my uh, my thing about splintering. You know, if you have two of something, it's making it really difficult not to fight if you've got to be one side or the other. But the Greeks had lots of different gods. I mean, yeah, but different followers of those gods also fought the same as true for Hinduism. Yeah. If you're a follower of Vishnu and another follower and another person's a follower of Ganesh, they don't like each other a great amount. I mean, we don't know a huge amount about Hinduism because... The Romans were pretty good. They had lots of gods, but when they took over the country, they incorporated the... The gods and the religion of that country. They also slaughtered millions, well, but... Yeah, they did yeah. that, but, you know, they had... Oh, I really should have got you a mic. <laughs> oh, no, you can... <laughs> it's, it's all right, it's just that we won't hear it very well. <laughs> um, I think the Mongols were the same, where they let everywhere that they conquered <laughs> keep their religion and sort of incorporated them into their own culture. But, I mean, that didn't last long once it actually finished their main expansion. It broke off into bits anyway. But Buddhists have kind of got the right idea. Also, Mongols aren't exactly a model of um, how you want to behave as a civilization, if I'm honest. That's racist. I I did say Mongols. You said Mongols. Well, I'm saying that the Mongolian Empire wasn't a particularly nice... Does Mongolia still exist, or is it a region now? It still exists. Oh, my God. (laughs) It still exists. Part of it's actually in China, which is a region of China called Inner Mongolia, but Outer Mongolia is a country of its own. I'm going to go get my... Yeah, I'm aware. Right. I wonder if Outer Mongolia is like a donut. What? Well, if you've got an Inner Mongolia and an Outer Mongolia, does it make Outer Mongolia like a a donut? Um. Talking of genes... Well, it's just sort of inner in relation to China. You two are very likely descended from Genghis Khan. Yeah, so is everyone. Yeah. Star Stuff just said that we're all descended from Genghis Khan. We're not all. Most of us. There's this thing about... Um, mathematically, if you go back far enough, you're likely related. Most people are likely related to someone of great renown. It's not. Yeah, but he, he put it about a bit. Mathematically, it's not unlikely. It's, it's not. It's the further back you go, yeah. the bigger you're. It's like that thing where you fold a piece of paper in half and then half again and half again. It soon gets impossible to fold it anymore. But like most people in the UK are distantly related to, I think, uh, Edward III or something. Do but you? that's just an ISO point, I think that's what it's called. But it, it's not. Very impressive and not really much to do with what we're talking about. But you've obviously got the, as we mentioned, uh, rival between Protestants and Catholics. 
Then you've also got um, this rivalry between Abrahamic faiths, which largely okay. actually believe in the same God, but just in different manifestations. And that so going back, when you go back, um, and we really should have got star stuff on Mike because she's going to be itching to get in on this. Um, thinking back in tribal history within Britain, um, you go further, the further back you go, obviously the Vikings came out at some point, but originally, oh, I say originally, you probably you can go further back, but Angles and Saxons were a, were two kind of... Uh, Saxons didn't come along, they were more German. They were German, were they? Okay. Angles, which is where we get the name England from, yeah. were around about that area. So where did they come from? I mean, they probably... Anglia. <laughs> they probably migrated from... Over the t- over like an ice age, they how migrated across the channel whilst that there was still ice bridge there. Yeah. That's also why there's no snakes in Ireland <laughs> because um, I mean there's this legend about Saint Patrick casting them all out, but actually they just couldn't cross over into Ireland before the ice melted between yeah Montenegro, Britain and Ireland. Mm. Yeah, well, that that's that's going back to the climate thing. We should actually be heading in, heading more to, in. We should be getting cooler at the moment. We? Yeah, we I mean, geologically speaking, we should be. I don't want to get back into that because we'll descend into yeah. depression. With religion, and I found this interesting uh, watching that Gandhi film. Although there is a slightly uncomfortable bit where. Uh, ben Kingsley, who I believe is white, yeah. is playing a figure of Indian renown who is brown, which meant that he had to do brown face to yeah. do that role, which is quite uncomfortable by today's standard. But it, I think it was still a very good film. And Yeah, I mean, 1982. Yeah. Actually, funnily enough, that film was made the last time that Parliament sat on a Saturday. Interesting bits of <laughs> trivia. Which was when we were about we were about to go to war with the with Argentina. Without Falklands. It was indeed. Bloody Tories again. Making yeah. people work on a Saturday. They're all bloody arseholes. <clears throat> I mean they probably tried to make people work on a Saturday in many different ways. Bloody arseholes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think most of the last <laughs> Uh, Excuse me. Famous Tory prime ministers have mostly been famous for Arsons. having for, for having pigs. shut up for being <laughs> adversarial with other countries. Although, to be honest, that's probably true of a lot of prime ministers. We're, we're not a great country. Oh, shit. <laughs> no, we're not indeed. Yeah, I mean, I sort of. I had in the past sort of thought about how how it must feel to be German and be ashamed of your kind of national history over the past century, but, yeah, but you think, actually... well, I'm not exactly proud of my country's record over a lot longer They've period. actually been, like, very seriously defeated in that way. I don't yeah. think Britain has been for quite a while in that way, whilst our empire... Did decline. We didn't. Re- it wasn't really such a loss. You know, we didn't have to apologise for anything. Um, we just sort we of did forgot about it. And did we not recently apologise to the uh, Windrush generation? 
I, I, I'm not sure, but to be honest, that was a mess anyway. Yeah, it's going to happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Quite worryingly, the government have neither confirmed nor denied, so this isn't anything certain upon a question of whether they would use basically internment camps for EU citizens in the UK in the case of no deal or even a deal. You're an asshole. Sometimes. Right. On, I'm sorry. On, on, I publicly apologise. On, on religion. I don't, do, do you think religion actually had much good that... I mean, this is going more into religion than tribalism, but a lot of the problems in religion is that there is a lot of tribalism from that and that it that these holy books have this moral authority above reason. I just think they thrive on it. I mean, one of the things I did notice in the news the last week, um, you, you know the Chick-fil-A thing that happened in America? Um, they hope opened a branch in the U- their first branch in the UK recently, and apparently it's already um, they've already announced that they're going to shut it down after the first six months because Good. they're not going to renew the lease because they've had people boycotting it because they support organisations, religious organisations they've they've funded, including the Salvation Army was one of them that have uh, also, awful records which on homosexual, isn't often reported on supported. Mm-hmm. Ugandan efforts to kill homosexuals, but <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised. No, I know they have a very bad record on LGBT rights. But uh, I used to just think it was. Arsels a- make such good chicken, though. KFC as well. Colonel Sanders was a Confederate general, was he? <laughs> yeah. Well, Confederate <laughs> Colonel. Well, I think he's dead now. He's not actually. Well, yeah, but like, I, I mean, at least KFC doesn't still at least directly support racism <laughs> in that way. Uh, mind you, there was um, there was a call for, I don't know, when, when McDonald's first came over here, there was a lot of um, controversy about whether or not you should eat there because there was, I don't know if it was true, but there was the thing, the rumour was put around that every every a penny in every pound ends up being fun, funding the IRA. Because back then, IRA, IRA was still a thing. The Northern Irish terrorist thing was still going on. And America kind of saw them as a band of freedom fighters. I mean, a new IRA <clears throat> has surfaced. And in the event of a hard border, they have already said that border facilities would be ideal targets for them. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's... Possibly why he's decided to put it in the Irish Sea. <laughs> I think it was just because... Because he knows they can't swim. Well, I think it was because he <laughs> knew that the EU wouldn't accept any deal that put a hard border in the middle of Ireland. Where would the checks be, though? What? Where would the border checks be? Would they be on the Irish coast? Or? In the current deal, there are custom checks in the Irish... In the Irish Sea, but only there isn't actually if you can prove that it's not going to go to Ireland or the rest of the EU. Because mm. there was a thing, um... but a lot of people can't prove just like that 
I can't that remember. It's not going to go. I can't remember all the steps that that it was. But I was telling you earlier on about some football shirt for some club that's near the border, and that during the production of their football shirts, they actually crossed the border six times, um, for various reasons for for preparing the materials and stitching and and printing and stuff like that. They so each time that happened, if it was actually going in and out of the EU, it would be costing. Um, well, I know the. Royal Mail charge, I think it's an £8 handling fee for importing non-EU goods. Mm. So... I think a specification specification of being in the customs territory thing was um, that you have to prove that uh, over 50% of your product comes from the resources used to make it come from oh. within the UK but a lot of people even if it maybe is that was one of the things cause did you see that, that in this in the um, commons today um, one of the Labour MPs was saying he wouldn't say I think it was Keir Starmer actually yeah was, he was taking quite a few questions he was saying that um, there's a, a, a well known car producer one of the top two in yeah, the country that was what, that's what yeah. I'm referring to yeah that they can't prove I mean, a lot of it does come from the EU, but a lot of it comes from non-EU places that they don't necessarily always keep track of because the EU so that's a difficult one for was me, managing that. A lot that. of the argument that's that's often given for the <clears throat> why the Scots should be supporting Brexit is this whole common fisheries policy thing, and that just every time I hear that, I just think, well, why? I know I know it's an important industry to a lot of people, but to me, as soon as I hear about fisheries i'm thinking well let's just stop raping the sea then because you know but i mean part of the reason that rules were placed there was well a for sustainability but also b in the 70s there was actually a borderline war between the uk and iceland over yeah. fish yeah fish but fish and fish and trawlers were attacking each other weren't they ram into each other yeah because they couldn't agree <clears throat> on it what fish belong to because fish don't exactly adhere to borders <laughs> because why would they fish passports yeah I mean there's nothing to define what a British fish is what a Norwegian fish is or what a life well I've got a passport I'm a Brill and I've got a passport yeah, why have I shut up <laughs> but um I'm not ignoring you it's just they can't hear you so it's sort of um a, a lot of people made this argument of, oh, we should be controlling our own British fish. It's just sort of like, what defines whether it's a British fish or not? You don't know where it was born. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless it's actually in a fish farm on land, then there's nothing really to define that. Yeah. But like inland, I suppose, but not on land, because fish can't survive on land. No. I, w- I was making a point about religion. Um, do you think there is any... Do you think basically that religion divides more than it unites? That's a difficult one. Religion as a whole? I mean, yeah. Yeah, sure. No, I don't. Okay. I don't think either. I think I think it does both, but I don't... <coughs> I mean... <clears throat> I don't know. It's one of those one of those 
By the way, I am talking about organized evaluation. Religion. Yeah, it's one of those things. Religion, rather than just that's a one of those evaluations I would abdicate from from making a decision on because I kind of I think it. Yes, it. I think it does divide. It unites, but it it unites in a divided way. So while um, you know, it's like I mean, it, it, that's like saying, does football divide or unite? Because it does unite people, but it unites them against others, right? Um, and not not that that religion is. Um, they, maybe they should have like a tournament league of religions, like a knockout tournament, like a world, like a religion world cup. What? You, well, you could <laughs> you could get them knocking each other out, and then the the. Yeah, but then you'd still have one left standing at the end, wouldn't you? Yeah, and there'd probably be even more pricks about it. I don't know. And then you got divisions actually within religions. I mean, uh, we're quite familiar with the division between Protestants and Catholics, and then... Thing is... Between polytheistic religions, you've got following different gods. But I they think, believe in different gods. I think it's used as well. a way to divide people more. Because I think all the ways in which it unites people are ways that humans can unite anyway. I mean, in terms of coming together to sing or to to meditate, you know, I mean, you had the Extinction Rebellion stuff. You've got people doing the same kind of things in meditation that people do in a religious ceremony. Yeah. But it's more in kind of they don't require, coming together with nature rather than a god. They, d- they don't require this sort of... But force that has a personality. But again, that that's more of a unifying cause in that you then get like there was a faith bridge, which uh, was you know there were people from all different religions coming together and uniting to uh, in one sort of cause, if you like. Um, so yeah, I suppose it depends. Really, it depends on the religion. I suppose, like anything, there are going to be ones that are worse than others. And they're going to be subdivisions of them that are worse than others. I don't know. Dep- in an ethical sense, worse. I mean, yeah. I, th- um, I think a lot. I think a lot of it hinges on the interpretation of something that is considered an ultimate authority. So basically, you can't actually argue against the text itself. You had to argue on the basis of what the text actually means. And seeing yeah. as that text wasn't necessarily written by someone with the interests of humanity in mind. But is that not the basis of human existence, though, is basically interpreting? I mean, in that case, you're interpreting a text in different ways. But everything about politics and about life and about being a human is about interpreting your way through life. But I suppose you're free to interpret stuff normally but if it's well, if I it's think, assigned to a deity then i think when you're like bringing declared forward, infallible when you're bringing forward bills and stuff like that yeah they can be repealed they can be amended you mm. know the changes can be made there but i mean as far as i know most holy books don't get changed that often no i mean you get revisions and translations and stuff and i think but all they are really different interpretations <coughs> of the same thing. 
Yeah. Rather than... But even in translation, you- a religion... Um, I mean, there there are plenty of things. Uh, I don't know examples of them, but I've I've heard that there are plenty of things that that in the Hebrew language that in translation to English they can't literally trans be literally translated because there aren't any there aren't words for those things. So <clears throat> yeah, they, they really have to be like retranslated into Greek or Latin and then translated. Generally, I think. Mm. But that's not flawless anyway. So there's a channel called Jubilee. I think it might be a magazine. I'm not sure. Uh, but they they do various things on the basis of, that they say here, we believe in the power of empathy for human good. Mm-hmm. But they also do general things on trying to get people from different sides of the argument, one of these being middle ground to find some common ground and agree with each other on some things. Right. I mean, it started off with, like, some fairly, uh, I suppose, facetious questions about, do you like pineapple on pizza? That sort of thing. Trying to find just some sort of common ground. But it it got more into just actually focusing purely on the issue. Mm. Looks interesting. Yeah, so they have... uh, Various debates, but I mean, the thing that strikes me with some of these, uh, particularly with some of the top ones, I mean, is that with some of these issues, finding common ground, whilst good for most arguments, in some cases, there is just one side that is factually wrong and one side that may be morally wrong and well see harm people there's there's an obvious example of um opposing sides there where you've got the democrat versus republican um and then you've got middle ground there but then you've got the flat earthers versus scientists i don't think the opposite of a flat earther is a scientist because there are plenty of people who who know that the earth is a sphere who wouldn't call themselves scientists no but this is sort of people that are scientists that are that have some authority on the issue Mm. so they're not just coming up with people they're not coming against people that haven't actually researched the topic Mm. but still believe so somebody who the status quo maybe actually is able to demonstrate yeah (coughs) the fallibility but they also have some sort of vested interest in presenting the case for science because quite often when someone's saying that they believe in a flat earth that means that they're going against most of recorded science mm. with the last couple of thousand years, mm. which is a lot to go against. Yeah, without any sort of blow by blow on how you actually explain all these phenomena that have been observed over the last couple of and again years. for me one of the um, crucial points that i stumble over is why i mean flat earthers arguments i can follow the logic that they're going through and i can understand sometimes the the whole conspiracy theory kind of suspicion and stuff like that but there always to me has to be some kind of justification for it it's like who who would benefit from fooling i guess but everyone (laughs) on a wider uh point Especially here, uh, 
one of their most popular videos is uh, pro-vaccine versus anti-vaccine, mm. particularly on the question of vaccinating children. When you don't vaccinate children, and this is scientific fact, it poses a risk to those around them that can't get vaccinated, not to mention yeah. the child themselves not mm. being able to Apparently, be immune. And this was in one of the earlier episodes of that. This study shows things with the uh, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine argument. Um, it's more constructive. Obviously, it doesn't work um, all the time, but it's it's three times more successful if, when approaching an anti-vaxxer, if you approach it in terms of trying to convince them that there's no link with autism. Um, it's three times more successful if rather than that approach, you take the approach of telling them or, or trying to convince them how how um, how how much it, it can prevent measles, say. How, how it, because an anti-vaxxer, although they may be wrong about their assumptions, their aim is the same they want to protect their child even right. though even though it's false information they're using to do that so if you if you can if you don't take them head on with the argument that they're using they believe that that they're protecting their child against a risk of autism by not vaccinating but if you tackle them on a different issue like whether or not they're going to be at risk of getting measles <clears throat> you're three times more likely to actually get them to vaccinate their child <clears throat> even if they still think that autism is a risk right because you're not confronting them with something that you know to be false because you're kind of it's almost like you call it's like that thing calling somebody a racist you're basically calling them an idiot you're calling them you're you're calling them out on believing something that's not true which people can get, get quite defensive about yeah i mean there is a question on i suppose there is a question on I mean, especially when your goals are the same thing, I suppose you can come to an understanding where you, you do just want to do the most constructive thing there, mm. trying to use not necessarily the most airtight arguments or disprove them in any way or debunk what they're saying, but uh, more... Yeah, more just trying to come to a conclusion that actually achieves what you want to achieve there. Yeah. So it's always difficult though when you've got a suspicion. There's there's always going to be trust involved because if somebody can 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 try to convince you that they just want what's best for society, at the end of the day, you've still got to trust that they're not actually just wanting to make the most profit out of yeah exploiting that society. I mean, I guess with this, <clears throat> most of the people on here are average everyday people that believe these things mm. they're not like the top of their they're, they're not at the top of their group of people no like you don't have in the democrats and republican argument you don't have representatives that are actually politicians there you just have voters there indeed um <clears throat> but i suppose can it be dangerous to normalize the other side in an argument, like saying, depends who you're talking to, doesn't it? Um, like, well, like uh, recently, it was uh, not that recently, but um, when last 
year or so debated on question time uh, on the basis of uh, protests that have been going on outside Birmingham, whether it's appropriate to teach children about homosexual relationships. Mm. At that level, I mean, that is literally teaching kids about the existence of gay people. Yeah. Which a lot of kids don't get from outside school, really. Yeah. Especially the people that, especially the kids of parents that would be protesting that. Mm. Is it okay to even debate stuff like that where you are literally teaching people about the existence of these people? Well, you, you is it okay <clears> to <throat> bring that up as a point you, of discussion? I don't. I don't think you. You actually don't know my answer to that, do you? Well, it, it, explain it. I don't. I, explain why I think that it's okay to teach people about the way the world is. No, but is it okay to debate whether that is an appropriate thing? If somebody disagrees with it, then it has to be debated. I don't think it necessarily means that that debate has to have any influence. But if somebody doesn't think that it's the right thing to do, then... Like a televised debate. All right. Well... Represented to the public as an issue where there is... I think it's... As with anything, it should possibly be represented in a way that is representative of the balance in society. Um, so if 10 people think that it's okay and one person doesn't, then have that balance of debaters. Okay. But <laughs> what if those people aren't relevant to the actual discussion? What if they're not educators and they're just average everyday people that don't actually know what the fact they're talking about? Well, I think if you're trying to, if you're trying to provoke debate and put, to put pit sides against each other, then I suppose that is the essence of trying to promote tribalism, isn't it? Because you're trying to divide, you're trying to pit people against each other with opposing views. Um, is it an okay question for question time to ask? Because although often that does divide, it's not necessarily in the spirit of the actual program itself. They're trying to find some sort of, I suppose, consensus on an issue. Well, I'd, I I would be against censorship of any kind, really. So I don't I don't I couldn't say no. It's not okay to ask that question because I don't think it's right to stop people asking any questions. Um, but would you say that the regular representation of the climate change debate as a 50-50 thing where they have one person from one side, one person from the other rather than fully representative of the scientific community on the issue where you would have 24 people <clears throat> on one side and one on the other. No, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure I would think that what you were talking about with the question time issue was a regular representation if it's a one-off programme. Okay, but it, I mean, similar issues do get raised on debating gay rights or, for example, um, I mean, it might be a result of my echo chamber bubble, but I would think that I I get the impression that most people have a fairly um, acceptable view of. I, I would think most people would say yes. It's it's obviously okay to teach people about the way the world is, but there are, are unfortunately people who 
disagree with that because they think you're influencing the world by doing that. Okay. Um, and those are the people whose minds need to be changed. Now, much more there contentious issue, that. rather than just gay rights, uh, why do it transgender right, uh, transgender rights? Is it okay to treat uh, teach children? Why is that much more contentious? <clears throat> Ask people. A lot more people are more accepting of gay people than trans people, just from polls. Yeah, I suppose contentious is an observation rather than a. Well, it it's a measurement of public opinion. Yeah, that's what measuring something is observing it. I suppose, but it, it's not a baseless observation. Um, on issues where I think it probably needs more discussion. Then, if there is more of an even. But should it be represented as something where you know it's up in the air? There's there's room to discuss it, or should it be represented more as we need to convince people of what is right here, what actually helps? I don't think people. it's useful to present it as that, even though that's the case, because I think it immediate from the starting point it alienates the people you're trying to convince. <clears throat> um. I think it's unfortunate, but I think it's a necessity to approach some subjects in a way that is more likely to sway opinions which need to be swayed. Um, some people will never be swayed, but there are many who will react by becoming more entrenched if they th they think from the from the outset that you're trying to change their mind. Okay. Is it appropriate to represent issues on which people could literally die over as something that's up for debate? I don't think um I don't think it's useful to shut debate down. Um I think I think it's an urgent thing that needs to be debated because it needs to be that there needs to be some kind of resolution reached. I think if everybody agreed that it was wrong, then there would be no debate happening. But the fact that some people, preferably the longer time goes on, more people are convinced by the arguments that that it, it is okay. And the more people realise that it is okay. It's a bit like the public awareness thing with the Extinction Rebellion thing. It's like the more people see of people arguing for something. But should you give the people that don't think it's okay a voice publicly? I don't know that I have the right to not to take away someone's voice. Everybody has a public voice. Everyone has a public voice, but not everyone gets to go on television to air those that public voice. No. Um, every, every everyone, I mean, most people can air their opinion to people in their personal life, but that reach is going to be fairly limited. I th think I think it has to be people just have to take their own. I mean, we we can decide who we have on our podcast. Um, that's the level of responsibility we've got, and. We probably do to a certain extent. Okay, but I mean, surely we're allowed to pass opinion on what, like the BBC should do in regards to who it invites on its programs. I mean, w we obviously don't know 
the ins and outs of how it actually gets people on the program, but the types of people that should get on programs. If I don't know, I I I I don't I feel very uncomfortable making any judgments on that kind of thing because um is that because you don't know that your views are because I don't want to be a bigger right ones. I don't want to be as bad as the other side. I don't want to say to someone, no, you can't have a voice because what you're talking about is bullshit and you're an idiot. Because I think that's destructive and divisive. Um, I think if somebody is talking bullshit and they are an idiot, I think allowing them to demonstrate that is actually counterproductive to them. As long as there is, as long as you're there to. As long as you can counter what they're saying, yeah, I suppose with sense, being able to, if they were the only ones on the program, yeah. you definitely they shouldn't be allowed to to be given. They shouldn't be given a public voice. But if you if you put somebody with an unreasonable opinion on screen with somebody who has a reasonable opinion and they debate with each other, I would hope the person with the reasonable opinion will come out looking better. Yeah. So. In that sense, I think it should be allowed, but within boundaries. Obviously, the more extreme and unreasonable opinion, but like the less I would be comfortable with them having a. At a least voice. on British television, you very rarely see someone that you would call a white supremacist, that you'd reasonably call a white supremacist, airing their views. Well, no, but because the there, there would be laws against that. You know, there, there would there would be complaints. The public would have that program pulled. You know, because our system is set up to. So, shouldn't there be a similar system set up around gay rights? Well, there is. I mean, if if that is kind it of effective though, or I don't know because rights. I don't know. I don't know. Um, if if there is offence caused and the Broadcasting Complaints Commission receive those complaints and act on them, then that that's how our system kind of works. So um, I don't I don't know what the statistics are. I would imagine that if something like that happened and they got complaints from LGBT communities about it, I would imagine that I would hope that they would uphold those complaints. Then there's, I suppose, a counterpoint of that where quite often there are a lot of complaints against something that actually promotes LGBT rights, particularly from religious groups. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one because, I mean, when you say about promoting rights, that's that's great. I don't think, but a lot of people misunderstand the idea of promoting a group's rights to promoting their way of life. Which is a different thing. Well, they they have a right to their way of life. That, yeah. That's the point. Then. Yeah, but but promoting someone's rights is a different issue. Some people see it as you promoting their lifestyle. Like if somebody, I mean, uh, what would I say? That some people would see it as you trying to convert people. Okay. To something. Should they be taken seriously at all? Because that sounds like some serious bullshit. I don't think so, but 
You know, there's all sorts of people out there. There are idiots. I suppose <laughs> there's the point of democracy. I mean, in in like a complaints uh, system that is partly democratic, I suppose. In democracy, whilst the people there aren't experts on that, it, I guess, is better than having one or a few people deciding on the view of a particular company or broadcasting station based on the views of a few people if that's wrong because that means that there's no real power to change that however Mm. having it more democratic whilst it sometimes backfires and there are serious consequences there i mean the climate change debate is a really good example of how in my opinion quite a lot of broadcasting channels have been irresponsible in representing the facts there Mm. where they usually have it where it's represented as oh it you know scientists aren't really sure about it but they are for the most part really sure about it yeah i don't think serious scientific programs ever claim that i think it's people who are trying to spin it for other reasons um politicians mainly but like the news that most people watch do you give a voice to a politician who's clearly lying yeah a lot of that is whilst we have our views on what is the right side of many issues and i think with i don't know would you say that there's quite a lot of issues that you're willing to say that the other side that you're willing to say that you're more in the middle of than on any that that you're more towards ambivalent to rather than either uh, on one side strongly or the other strongly I I don't like the idea of there being one side or another I I think it's divisive Um, I guess yeah um but would you say that you're more on the whole kind of centred in that sort of regard? No, there are some things that I'm clearly... Well, it depends what you mean. I mean, centred to me means in the real world, you know. But I mean centred on... I mean, if you're taking this talking about the climate change thing, I'm in the realistic position that there's a good chance we could be extinct in the next hundred years. Um the extreme of it would be to one side the way that the world seems to be treating it as though it's not as serious as it actually is and on the other side would be people that think that we're going to I mean the extreme die out as a species in the next year the extreme of one side is believing that this is all one big conspiracy and the extreme of our side is believing that we could all die no, that that's not an yeah, but then then but, you're seeing yourself as an extremist. Well, that's the thing. Extremes aren't necessarily always wrong. Radical problem requires a radical. Well, solution. then you're putting yourself outside of the Overton window. You need- yeah, but sometimes that's necessary to shift it. 
Yeah, but it doesn't shift it into the right place because the Overton window would then be over on one side. You need to envisage more extreme than your own opinion. Like I say, for somebody to claim that it's gonna that the seas are gonna rise and we're and we're gonna all die in the next year would be an extreme. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but not sort of tiptoeing around things and going out there big and bold, saying the truth, but not holding back on it shifts that Overton... By the way, the Overton window is sort of the political normality of ideas. Uh, Shifting that Overton window by saying the truth, but uh, not holding back on it, might, might actually shift it more to a... Whilst it's not necessarily to the truth, it's to somewhere a lot closer to the truth rather than the absolute opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably be wrapping up there, but we've made a lot of points of quite a wide Some area. Some had something to do with tribalism. <laughs> a lot of them are to do with tribalism, but um, I get a lot of them are sort of would would tribalism that encompasses a lot of issue because there is a sort of binary applied to a whole host of issues, which means that tribalism applies because that's just sort of how humans. I think we like to divide the world into little sections so that it's just simpler so that we don't have to consider really complex things all the time because mm. that's sort of uncomfortable. Mm. Anyway. Uh, Zombie down. I've been Firebolt. And I... Proud You're spending more time doing this. I've been the Orbiter. Yeah, I know. I don't want it to be a depressing ending, though. I've been trying to finish for the last three quarters of an hour. And I don't want it to be depressing because I've put my foot down. You've stopped me from... You've silenced me. And that is... I know, but I feel like you were trying to make me say something that you could argue with. No, I was just trying to bring you out of your comfort zone. Why? To force you... My comfort zone's very comfortable. Well, to force you to say what you actually think on the issue. What makes you think I don't? To sort of test your idea of not calling people things. To sort of test your idea of being nice to people to try and sort of persuade them. I didn't say anything about being nice to people. Or being more persuasive to someone without uh, dissuading them from your side. It is a problem that needs addressing. Yeah. I mean, if there was a way to change Donald Trump, wouldn't you want to take it? But I don't think there is any way to change Donald Trump, but there's a way to change a lot of his supporters. Yeah. Anyway, bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast Network.